0: i Smile Films presents The Shot. And now here are your hosts, Matt and Jesse.
1: Welcome back, Ryan Nation, to The Shot. We have a very interesting midweek entry this week, and we are going to be coming up with the top 10 greatest or most, horror, most influential horror films of all time. There's a twist, though, Jesse. Mm-hmm. The twist tonight is we're going to flip a coin and if it's heads, nice support <laughs> yourself a stiff one there <laughs> yeah. If it's heads, you go first, okay. And if it's tails, I go first. okay. So that means we each get five picks. okay. I'm sure there's gonna be some overlap on this okay And here's what I'm really hoping. I'm hoping that for example, my seven is your number two mm-hmm. because then that's gonna force you to make a decision or bump something up. I'm excited. We honestly have not seen each other's lists. Yeah. Kind of have a general idea where we are with each other's horror, but here's the thing that's different about this list. And I think we constructed it, our own list this way. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be favorite. Yeah. It can be most influential. Mm-hmm. So we really are kind of going outside the limits of our preference
0: here to the larger spectrum of horror as a genre. Yeah. And one of the things I did, I, I, you probably didn't do this, but I, I, I tried to, like, if there was, like, I didn't try to do like all slashers or like all space whore. Like I tried to pick like a few from all the different categories of what I kind of thought were the best that representing of those categories too. Um, Again, it's our list. Um, You could probably do this a hundred thousand times and not have the same identical list. So just, we're just going to have some fun with it. So ready to call it friendo. Okay. (laughs) Heads. It's Tails
1: so you're first i'm first i mean i'm going at number 10. number 10. man this is the one that i didn't want because (laughs) i was gonna jesse this out and see if i could hopefully sneak in three at one but i can't okay (sighs) shoot jesse why do you have to give me this one (laughs) all right at number 10 most influential god like i literally there's my list there's three at number 10. okay I'm going to have to go at number 10 with Todd Browning's Freaks. The reason I have that at number 10 is it is super exploitative. Mm-hmm. It is later than some of the other entries that were in possible discussion here. Yeah, I don't know how you can't see that movie <clears throat> and not be put into a horrified state not only for the inhumane way that the people are treated, but the rather inhumane ending to the antagonist in that film. Oh yeah. This is literally a
0: movie about circus performers. Real people. Real people. Yeah, the human torso.
1: He human torso. Um, man with two heads. Yeah. The, there's a. Um, we call it extortionist. What yeah, you yeah, call yeah, them? yeah, yeah. extortionist Contortionist. <laughs> Contortionist. Yeah. Extortionist she, is
0: a gangster movie. Yeah, she's trying to take their money too. Yeah. So oh. we didn't even do this, but to, to here we go to yeah. start. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Number ten freaks. I like it. I. It's not my number ten. It's actually not even on my list. I'll just say that, but okay. I. I, I dig it. I like where it's at. All right. All right, number nine. Number nine. Black Christmas. Yeah. Um. Uh. Just kind of looking at you know how it kind of really jump started the modern slasher flick. Uh. I also think it's a very well crafted film. Um. Where it, it kind of differs from Halloween. I think, you know, Bob Clark makes a truly creepy film from the 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 phone calls to the music to. You know, uh, using tropes that would become commonplace in horror, like the killers in the house and the first-person POV, and all this and that. I think it's not only influential, but I think it's a true benchmark of horror. 1974. Yeah, that's that's my number nine. That's our number nine. <laughs> I think that's a
1: terrific choice. All right. As important as that is in the genre as a whole, too. Okay, so that gives me number eight. Then yes. Mm-hmm. Also, a really tough one for me. Um, I'm curious as to see what the feedback is going to be from the audience on this. Mm -hmm. Number eight is Night of the Living Dead. I don't find that movie horrifying or terrifying uh, in some ways, but what I do really appreciate in that film is the social commentary that Romero tackles. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I, I mean, anyone that's seen that film, I don't need to go into detail on that. But to take you know what's a pretty shoestringish budget mm-hmm. shot with a bunch of college students probably like <clears throat> maybe some other entries later on in this list for both of us mm-hmm. and with minimal effects make what is at the time the defining zombie genre movie i don't well, know most definitely i don't know how you can't have this in the list somewhere insofar as what it did socially at the time mm-hmm. and then how it set up the genre. I, I bet that's a common theme as a lot of in this list, the first that this
0: the was. The first of this, the thematic the starting elements of this. that they're playing with. Uh, this, this African-American protagonist in 68 mm-hmm. is just like unheard of like it's like this is like predate shaft and all those films so i would have
1: loved to have been in the theater at that part when he kind of knocks her around a little bit to try to get her to snap out of
0: it because i'm sure there were a whole lot of people that freaking out yeah but also i think we mentioned episodes past our kind of love for dawn of the dead and i think we i I might have said at least that was my favorite of the series but i kind of thought about it and you know what that's that's probably my but the living dead's probably Real close with it, so yeah, number eight, I dig it.
1: That's tough because for me, this one that's not one of my favorite horror movies either. I like, I like yeah. it. It's, but it, it wouldn't make my favorite list. But it's, it's a huge
0: one. Okay, you mm-hmm. get number seven. Number seven, I've talked about it in weeks past. I think last week actually. Um, Got to put this one in there. Evil Dead Two. Um, like I said, I think it's the best of that franchise. I think it, it, it blends comedy and core brilliantly with the. A lot of my things come down to how great are the protagonists in these films. And I think we get one of the best ones there uh, portrayed by Bruce Campbell. Whether it's the chainsaw arm and the quippy, groovy lines. I think there's a lot of fun in there. But it's also going to creep you out at the same time. Again, we've talked about Sam Raimi. I think works. He's good in Spider-Man. But I think his brain works best in a horror environment. Man, he's He's just having the time of his life making this film, and I think I can truly respect that as great horror. So, number seven for me, Evil Dead 2, Dead it's by Dawn. Fine <laughs> art to putting
1: horror and comedy together in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, no argument here. Okay. I want you to hold on to something. Alrighty. Number six okay. for our list okay. is Halloween. Um, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of the weekend stuff but Mm -hmm. i'll tell the like obviously that's coming at some point Mm -hmm. what are we gonna say um carpenter in what is such a misunderstood career in my opinion Mm -hmm. from hollywood and lack of marketing and just bad decisions on when things were released to take what was the foundation laid by black christmas and then turn it into such an iconic film that set the standard, oh, yeah. in my opinion, mm-hmm. for what that genre is. And yeah. we can say Black Christmas may have been the first. Mm-hmm. And there's some other possibilities, but I do agree that's kind of the first one. But then to do it the way they did in a neighborhood that's just Joe Smith's neighborhood around the corner. Exactly. With... A bunch of no names at the time, yeah. Other than your Tony Curtis's daughter, yeah. Jamie but she, she
0: was—that was her first film. First film, so yeah.
1: Look, I mean, I feel like me talking about this movie is sacrilegious in the annals of you because it's <laughs> so important. But um, I'm glad you didn't throw anything at I me. Mean, number six. No, is no, no, no like, I
0: think that's good. And it's, it's, we're just talking about a, a, a genre too that's just has such great foundations for a hundred plus years that to even make this list is. Has to be considered an honor. You know what I'm talking sure. about. So, number six. I'm not going to argue with you. It's actually kind of in the same vicinity for you as as uh, as yours. So yeah, okay. no qualms there. Because I got to talk about these other films. Yeah. Number five for me. Um, I honestly think it is. You know, thinking of classic horror. That's like pre that like pre Psycho era. Uh, and if there's any one of those that I think stands out above them as like a masterpiece of filmmaking. It's the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, this is my favorite of the Universal monsters. I think it's one of the greatest sequels ever made. Um, what James Will did is such a step up from film one. It's like night and day. you know, the scenes with you know, the monster and the blind man in the cabin are so poetic, but not in an over to the top way. It's almost it's very beautiful to kind of say that and you know the stuff with doctor uh, uh, Pretarius and his little jars of like f- kind of freaks too yeah uh yeah that's so uncanny and just the the cinematography and everything is just everything's just so stepped up a level that you're like are these the same people that made the first one and it is not knocking the first one that's another great masterpiece absolutely. but absolutely I don't think it, to me, it does not hold a candle to Bride of Frankenstein. That's my number five. Don't disagree with you on any
1: of that. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to me to watch how that evolved from what Frankenstein was Mm -hmm. to Bride and how quickly. The genre stepped up its game with
0: production value. Big time. Didn't it? Yeah, and I forgot to mention that great opening bit where it's Mary Shelley and Lord Byron, and they're talking about, oh, what's the why don't you tell us a story and see if you can freak us out? Yeah. And we kind of get, yeah, the Frankenstein. So, I love it. Bride of Frankenstein. That was five. Mm-hmm. Number four, Psycho. Uh, it seems
1: like they keep falling back on a little bit of the slasher horror. Now this can be met with some raised eyebrows as I don't know if you can officially say that psycho is horror kind of would be more by thriller means today, but look, if you're presenting a serial killer, Ed Gein and the embodiment of him on screen and all of the things that are horrifying mother son relationships, nakedness, showers, all of that. uh, Yeah, it's psycho. I mean, to shoot that the way that Hitchcock did on that lot with, Alfred Hitchcock presents mm-hmm. the television show as the production crew to build it with Hershey syrup as blood and, you know, poor, 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 poor freezing cold water on Janet Lee after about the first 15 minutes of day one on what was a multiple day and hour shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, look, yeah. quintessential film in a lot of ways like psycho.
0: Yeah. Excellent. So that's number number four. That was four. All right. Number three, uh, The Exorcist. Mm. Uh, it, what haven't we not said already on the podcast without actually doing a whole episode about The Exorcist? But it's truly, you know, I think a defining film of all time. I think it's an, one of the all-time greats, one of the biggest moneymakers of all time, adjusted for inflation. Balsily released on Christmas Day 1973. The production stories around this are more legendary, I think, than the film itself, like sometimes. But I think it's a really good movie at the end of the day. A simple story about good versus evil, finding the faith in the dark places. And man, it's just scary as hell Mm -hmm. to this day. And I can't say that about a lot of the films on this list, but I can truly say that about The Exorcist. Masterfully directed by William Friedkin, even if he had to be kind of insane while, while making it. Uh, it's top notch. It's it's one of those other perfect films uh, I think that have ever been made. It's The Exorcist number three. Watching a sweet innocent little girl, Linda
1: Blair, Linda Blair, be possessed and turned and do the things that she did is where I think the truly horrifying moments in that movie occur. Mm-hmm. In I think we see that movie manifests itself in a lot of horror today from everything that includes the creepy picture drawn by the kid in the crayons. It's it's a family. And Mm -hmm. then the little girl's holding the demon's hand at Mm -hmm. the end Mm -hmm. or the writing on the wall or the child's toy that starts and moves across the floor with no explanation. That bastardization, if you will, Mm -hmm. of the innocent is gold in horror. And that is the benchmark for horror.
0: Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I don't think you can how do you not make a demon possession film currently and not have like the exorcist looking over your shoulder? I mean, it's it's the standard to which all of those type of possession films have to be met and I don't think any any of them have even come close. Right. Something special happened there in 1973, so it's number 3. Number two. number 2. Number 2. Alien in
1: space no one can hear you scream. Look, essentially, this is a haunted house in space, right? Oh, yeah. From the themes that include sexuality Mm -hmm. to, I mean, everything from the alien itself to the suffocating of Sigourney Weaver with the porno magazine to Mm -hmm. the confined spaces to the promise of franchisability. Look, man. I, we don't need to go into it too much yeah. i guess because we did a whole podcast on alien yeah. but that's number two on this list and with a bullet mm-hmm. with the bullet excellent okay
0: so this is where we're gonna have the, i guess the first overlap
1: number mm, it's already, one it's already happened actually I, I
0: really had to think about it long and hard and you know the the more i kind of was like is this the exorcist is this kind of something else and it, it can't be because to me there's like 1960 is such a pivotal year for horror because I think there's everything before that and everything after that. Before 60, it's Universal Monsters and Lon Chaney and Atomic Monsters and Shrinking Men. Everything after 60, I think, is more psychological. It's, I think, smarter Mm -hmm. and I think a lot more terrifying for what was going to echo what was the things happening in the world before they were even really happening here in 1960. And that's psycho to me. It's not only like what you call the first kind of true slasher, but for all the risks that film took from offing your lead uh, actress, uh, kind of going into, you know, filming with, yeah, like you said, with your television crew, It's, it's just so incredible. And, you know, if you've never kind of taken the time to really kind of thoroughly just Look at Psycho. Watch the final image of Psycho, which is Norman kind of waxing poetically as his mother saying, well, I won't even harm that fly. And he grins grotesquely. And we get that triple imposition of his grin, his mother's skull, and then the grill of the car, which is just its the composition of that alone is so loaded, but it's a beautiful shot. And if you pause it, man, it'll give you the willies because it's just ugh, like... To me, that's true horror. And to me, that's where horror changed. I think that's the best horror film of all time.
1: Jesse, I love Psycho. I think that's a great choice. Mm -hmm. You're a rule breaker, though. (laughs) (laughs) I had that at number four. Yeah. You can't put the same movie on here twice. Okay. So if I have it at four, okay. Then since I took it first, it's stolen at four. Okay. So I'm going to give you Crack Two at number one. Okay. Second take.
0: Second take at number two, and then we already used The Exorcist. Oh, boy. Okay. So
1: maybe before you do number one, let's go back Mm -hmm. and do everything that we have up to this point. All right. So at 10, I said Freaks. At 9, you said Black Christmas. At 8, I said Night of the Living Dead. At 7, I have
0: Evil Dead 2. At 6, I have Halloween. At 5, I have Bride of Frankenstein. At 4, I have Psycho. 3, The Exorcist. 2, Alien. All right. I guess the new number one now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: So kind of not considering that, trying to keep it, you know, kind of kind of fresh. The more I think about this film, the more it, it I think it just grows and how amazing and I think how just what a great film it is. And, you know, its ability to blend horror within another genre, uh, great performances, great makeup and gore effects. Maybe you know where I'm going with this one. I'm going to have to go John Carpenter's The Thing uh we talked about it a little bit last week but for a film that was just such a bomb and just kind of written off by you know the people involved to kind of get reevaluated in a modern light with you know a different i i hope that keeps happening with with films too like kind of made today like some things that are seen now that were like yeah like critically it wasn't received well but like that was a pretty good movie it just didn't find its audience i hope that keeps happening And I think that happened with the thing because of the advent of home video, being able to watch this at home, show friends, um, because you couldn't have that in the theater. The ambiguous ending. uh, The standout bit for me has always been the defibrillator scene. Uh, It comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. The the effects are just so amazing. It's so great they had to rip it off in It Chapter 2. But... I don't think we've ever seen practical effects done like that that look so grotesque and you don't know what you're looking at and it's repulsing you, but a film to thoroughly, I think, please you, frighten you, and really make you think who is the thing.
1: Yeah, I sort of always leave that film thinking that mm-hmm. David, is it Keith, David Keith? Yeah. Keith is. David, yeah. Childs. Childs mm-hmm. is the thing. Uh, we've pretty much watched Macready the whole time, mm-hmm. so we don't kind of think he is. Or then there's just the part where maybe they both are. Yeah, and I love that defibrillator scene too. Mm-hmm. But the scene that just shows or proves to me like how impossible a task it is is to get rid of the thing mm-hmm. is when they blow up. Um, oh, what with the dynamite? What's what, Oh Blair? Yeah. No, no, the the guy in the snow when they. Um, oh yeah,
0: Nalls. Yeah. yeah.
1: When they blow Nalls yeah. with dynamite into a trillion pieces,
0: you've just created a trillion little things yeah. all over the Actually, place. Actually, that's not Nalls; that's Benning's. Yeah, Bennings. You, you that's gotta, right. You got to get all those guys' names straight because there's a bunch of them. But I think you know what's interesting about that—all those characters in that film—I think they all kind of have moments of to stand out yeah. and moments to kind of creep you out. You know, whether it's you know Norris's chest opening up or that the, the one guy. Always like you know he's kind of like the, like the sheriff guy. I always call him like like all kind of jockeying for position of who's gonna run this camp. Man, it's a tight, tense watch. That's that's number one for me, and I, I hope that the critical praise for this film continues to grow um, as the years go by.
1: John Carpenter was troubled with a lack of budget in his early years, mm-hmm. and. You know, We can make the case that the first big, big budget that he had was Big Trouble, but really the first big budget he had in those days was The Thing. Mm-hmm. And for the cult-like success that Assault had and mm-hmm. that Halloween had, the studio finally decided to get behind him and give him some money to actually do a film. And if you watch that movie in 1983, mm-hmm. you can tell that they've put some money into the production of it. It's not halloween william shatner mask that yeah. you've dyed white with the eyes cut out like it's actually production level money yeah. put into this mm-hmm. here's what's the killer and i think this is the curse of of john carpenter in yeah. a sense yeah absolutely and i mean this mm-hmm. the worst marketing team in the history of the studio system i know right short of yeah um you know if you want to go back to like RKO and the magnificent Ambersons and the disastrous stuff of that with with Orson Welles, um, who saw that film, yeah, and said, "Let's go up against friendly kid Steven Spielberg in the summer, yeah, with a very friendly film to eighteen to thirty-five year old males." That's not pretty, that there's no love angle with,
0: mm-hmm. set in the middle of the freaking Arctic. The only thing I can think of is like, you know, Steven Spielberg at that point at Universal just had such carte blanche over that studio that, you know, they're just like, no, Steven, Steven gets this one. And yeah, we're just going to leave that one there. If it bombs, this film will recoup our money. You yeah, have real poor marketing. I didn't have a way to find its audience. Like few things in 82 probably did because E.T. was... It became the highest grossing film of all time when it was released. Right. So yeah. It, odd. Very odd. But hey, if the if it continues to improve, I'm all here for it. Yep. So what do you what do you say we we work on the alternate list now? So that's the real definitive top ten. I'll post I'll post that. Okay. But let's kind of see what kind of got cut. Mm-hmm. Got missed the cut. Mm-hmm. So if you went at, at, at number 10, I go at number 10. Flip it. Okay. So we'll flip it for real. All right. Uh number ten for me was the descent i mentioned a couple weeks back that i think this is the best horror film of the last 19 20 years uh, the, the the real fear and dread you feel in this this singular location just works so well uh and i love the characters too I and mean, we didn't talk too much about the the lead protagonist sarah in that film but to go from such a the opening scenes the the tragedy that sets the events in motion. To literally having her reborn in the the blood bile uh, pond of these things wake that they're just feasting on is so – I know they're uh, ripping off or homaging Apocalypse Now, Martin Sheen coming out of the water. But it's so – you're just like to go from hell one time to go through it again. How is this character going to react to what's unfolding before them, they just knock it out of the park, and I love that ending too. Whether it's you know the American or the international when they end two different ways. Mm. I love the Descent. I can't recommend that film enough to those that haven't seen it. It's it's a it's a game changer for me um, of 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 horror. Yeah, it's I love recommending the Descent. Great number nine, mm-hmm. Dracula, Todd Browning. So Todd Browning checks in
1: twice. Yeah. <laughs> At ten and nine for me on depending which list you're going with. Okay. And this is about it for Todd Browning, shockingly. I know. Jesus. Freaks did him in. He just was uh, you know, sort of untouchable at that point. But Dracula is an important film because that's the beginning of the studio system recognizing the franchisability mm-hmm. of these big three. That's the monster, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. Dracula, and the Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Um I, look, that movie's not gonna scare anybody today, and what I would contend is that Renfield essentially Dwight Fry steals the film anytime he's on the screen? <laughs> oh yeah, especially the part when he vamps the nurse when she's passed out on the floor. It's actually my screen. That's one of my screensavers <laughs> on my computer. This awesome. Oh, he's so awesome. Oh it? yeah. Uh, look, that's a landmark film. Yeah, it's a, that is a quintessential moment. Yeah, as much as I could put that at nine, I won't. Yeah, I could make the case. Uh-huh. I think I could make the case for myself. Yeah, and to this audience, uh-huh. that that has. A place that might be as high as number one, mm-hmm. if Dracula's never made and it never has the success. Yeah,
0: do they do Frankenstein? Do they do Br- Invisible Man? Do they do the Wolf Man? Well, you like, don't
1: get you don't get the Bride.
0: Yeah, I don't because one,
1: and then we're done. Mm-hmm. And up to that point, you know, there's some other ones we can mention: Caligari. Yeah, you know, that's 1920. The lack of sound kind of kills that. Yeah, we'd even <clears throat> seen vampires before Nosferatu, and mm-hmm. um, that has some technical moments in there that are pretty landmark, like sound. Oh yeah. Um, but, yeah, Dracula with a big-name cast and a franchisability piece that the audience loved. Oh, yeah.
0: So, yeah. All right. I love it. So, number eight for me. Mm-hmm. Number eight for me, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yeah. Uh, I was real high on this film when we did it in the podcast, so that says a lot about the rest of my top eight and how I really feel about them. Mm-hmm. So yeah what's not to say that we i didn't already say in that that thing i think it's a truly maybe the only like other than the exorcist what i would qualify as an epic horror film i think you go on such a journey when you watch that the overlook hotel interior is more of a maze than the actual hedge maze but it's such a fever dream of images and you know confusion and the performances alone incredible i actually decided um a couple weeks ago, I'm gonna be Jack Torrance for Halloween this year. Very nice. So, man, I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna really sell, sell that one.
1: I'm not gonna be shelly
0: Duvall. Oh man, I was, I was hoping maybe you'd be one of the, one of the, one of the twins. So, oh yeah, um, I do that. Maybe that's still on the table. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So, The Shining for me, number eight. um Yeah, I, I really like that. But saying a lot about my list because I gave that top shelf. What do I think about those other seven? That's, yeah. Probably the same. Oh, I agree. Yeah.
1: So that gives me seven, is that right? Number seven. Seven, Eyes Without a Face. This is a really sleepy French film that most people haven't seen, directed by Georges Mm Franjou. Here's the basic premise. It's better to be dead than it is to be ugly or disfigured. Mm -hmm. This is slipping women, a Mickey. This (laughs) is body dysmorphia. This is inappropriate relationships between fathers and daughters. And I don't mean in like a lustful Oedipus way or yeah, yeah, Electra yeah. way. I just. No, it's, no, no. It's no. An, look, this daughter, this guy's daughter has an accident and her face becomes disfigured. And the rest of the movie is him essentially trying to find the faces of beautiful women to graft onto his daughter. Yeah. Which never take. Yeah. And. That's not the most horrifying part. Mm-hmm. The skin rotting and falling off happens in a rather interesting sequence midway through the film. It's like
0: stills. It like is still stills. photos. that's kind of unsettling, actually. Kind of I don't. I don't like that scene. Very
1: La Jetée. If yeah. anyone's ever seen La Jetée, very Oh similar. yeah, that's that's another good one. Could be, be horror. That that movie could mm-hmm. be horror too. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't make my list, but yeah. Yeah. No, the most terrifying thing is <clears throat> the freaking white mask that mm-hmm. Christian wears in this movie, and. I have to do this, and I'm glad we went the opposite way because I, I I would be remiss if I didn't take a minute okay. to give a nod okay. to the man that introduced that movie to me mm-hmm. and has been so instrumental in why we are both sitting here, mm-hmm. and that's Gus Blaisdell. Cheers to that. God bless you, Gus. And if you're up there yeah. listening to this, I... Wish I could tell you how much I appreciate what you did for me. Awesome. I never would have seen most of the things in my film, early film upbringing, had it not been for you, um, brother. You are a visionary and a genius, and I thank you. And Eyes Without a Face comes in at number seven. Awesome. Yeah.
0: Have you ever seen it? So that that film's on the Criterion Collection, which I'm pro. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Criterion Collection. Mm-hmm. On the disc is this other like short film called Blood of the Beast. Yep. Oh dear God. Yep. Like, if you ever. I don't know if you've ever wanted, but if you, it's it's essentially this silent, 30-minute silent film of this, like, tour of a slaughterhouse, and it is horrific. Horrific. Yeah. Um, don't let Morris get his hands on that. Yeah, it's interesting how that kind of – that's a, compa- or, or a piece there. I guess it's about the slaughter of, you know, like, the the innocent of, of – li- to kind of, you know, provide nourishment Ugh. on the food spectrum and then, like, nourishment of, like, beauty. Yeah. Interesting. All right, number six for me. Yeah, I told you it was very similar to where we ended, ended up. This is Halloween for me. Again, I, this is my I, my favorite film of all time. Is it the top horror film of all time? No, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this film in in coming weeks on on the on Rice Smile Films. So I'll sing its praises really highly then. But kind of like what you said. You know, kind of taking the ideas of Black Christmas and totally running with it. And I think making a better film, mm-hmm. everything from the music to the POV to just how they kind of fell into this William Shatner mask is nothing short of just like, gosh, this has to work for us because like we're we're literally making our painting our own fall leaves, ra- uh, Blowing them out, raking them back up because we don't have the money to do that a second time. Love it. The ingenuity there, and it's one—it's the film that made me want to make movies of my own. Uh, I saw how they did it with no money, no budget, no nothing. But as long as the story was compelling, the kind of craft you could make through filmmaking, through cinematography, music, editing, the works, lighting, can truly make something scary. And that's what they needed because they didn't have the money to show that. It's very similar to the Jaws approach. The shark's not working. What do we do? Don't show it. Yeah, you got to allude to something else, something more terrifying in the darkness. But, yeah, that's number six for me, Halloween. Yeah, get ready for a fun episode there because, yeah, that's 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 the top of my top shelf, the tippy top. I know. Yeah, that's, that's the Pappy Van Winkle up there. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I think it's interesting that Carpenter, Hooper, and Craven
1: all sort of were birthed in the same kind of genre with the same rebels on the backlot mentality. Oh, yeah. From Last House on the Left, which— is again the film crew of my
0: students yeah um and then to you know texas chainsaw exactly Um, yeah what a cool decade for horror it was just like it totally it it totally changed It, it wasn't you know psycho helped propel that but everything from the 74 black christmas last house on the left hills have eyes the exorcist jaws even even Duel. uh Game changers, like it just horrible. Well, that's
1: that. That's the end of that period that you and I like mm-hmm. so much. I mean, we usually go sixty-seven to seventy-four, mm-hmm. but we could probably stretch that to sixty-seven to seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to be honest, we could probably stretch that from sixty-seven to eighty if mm-hmm. you really want to get there. But it's all birthed in that same mm-hmm. Peter Bogdanovich yeah. kind of mm-hmm. auteur, but not. Snobby auteur.
0: sure, right? I like it. It looks raw. It looks like they right. just like got a camera, went into this location, just kind of shot like willy nilly, and they what they captured is just just remarkable. So, Halloween number six, five for me, five for you, Carrie.
1: Um, landmark mm-hmm. De Palma um, argument with sisters, best De Palma film. Uh, you know, we did it, the podcast on this too, and I didn't just. You know, bow at the altar of Carrie. Like, I don't know if it's aged really well, but that is not what this is. Landmark and aged are two very different things. Yeah. And there is no question that, and I don't know if I'm 100 on this, but I'm close. Mm-hmm. The pig's blood scene on Carrie might be, if not the, certainly one of the five most memorable moments in any moment. I don't know about maybe in in horror. I mean, in totality of film. Yeah. Here's Johnny is certainly up there, mm-hmm. but that pig's blood scene and Sissy SpaceX so angular and gangly, elbows locked, palms down, rigid, awkward. That I mean we're talking eyebrow Hi- stuff here, and then doing a really good job with again what you said, Psycho. Oh yeah, and how important that film is. Mm-hmm. What happens when Mom gets it wrong? Yeah,
0: I are all fucked basically. Yeah, I got an even better one for you too. What happens if that film's a Total bomb. Does the career of Stephen King go the way it goes without the success of that film? I don't know if it does really. A very fair question. Yeah. So it kind of birthed two things. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Love Carrie. I well, love it. Well, and then
1: a, like a pretty good run for mm-hmm. Brian De Palma. Maybe we'll do a De Palma film in the not too distant future. Possibly. It's called A Tease. Yeah. Is it The Black Dahlia? It is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Terrible film noir. Excellent. Number four for me. I was actually uh, maybe a little surprised at how high this was on my list, but then maybe not because, again, I think it's so masterfully made from the makeup to, again, it's blending of comedy and just utter horror. John Landis is an American werewolf in London. We'll have to do this film on the the podcast one day, but Mm -hmm. I saw this film uh, late at night when I was like, eight or nine on the sci-fi channel oh goodness it was really freaking me out so i was really changing it and then i think i changed it to the wrong channel and i never got to go finish watching it because i couldn't find it again Mm. but the scene that always stuck out to me and it's the scene in the london tube there where this um businessman's like running away from the pov of the the wolf and he stumbles on the escalator and he's all like broke his nose and he just turns back to look at it and then from high up we see him there trying to go up, and then we just see the visage of the werewolf walking towards him. Oh man! Like to me, that's true pure horror. Uh, what do you, what aren't you not going to say about that werewolf scene? I mean, they they practically had to invent a best makeup effects to give it to Rick Baker <laughs> for that. There wasn't an award prior to that year, so it and it's the gig that got them Thriller. Um, I think it's the quintessential werewolf film. I think it took the mythology made it funny, made it scary. And you know what's great about that film too is I think it's like an hour and 32 minutes in and out, but man, do we hit everything we need in that journey. Number four, an American werewolf in London.
1: The transformation of human into werewolf is what makes that particular character work. Mm-hmm. And we've gone over with, you know, the similarities to the Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, It does it with such expertise mm-hmm. in a new way yeah and you know what i love of the most like I-, I agree with everything you said there mm-hmm. that movie played better then than it does now because you know what that would be in 2019 it all be cgi cgi bullshit yeah and you lose the volume that That's- part when his mouth opens and the snout comes out it stretches jesus mary and joseph yeah my question is mm-hmm. how do you get back to any semblance of a human being yeah and- after your body has been ripped asunder mm-hmm. from the wolf inside you, know I'd love to do a conversation someday about werewolves with mm-hmm. you. Because there's a lot we can talk about. Yeah. What releasing the beast is and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But that aside.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, man. That that and the thing you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Those movies are so much
0: better in their time than they would be now. Yeah. Because you actually had to create a model. And I think it, it makes the films today look like pale in comparison just because the, the actual craft of making this and shooting it in camera versus... After the fact and pointing and clicking, to me, that's film art where this is – it's a different type of art, but I think there's less effort that has to go into it. There's hard work that goes into making Thanos look the way he does. But man, just like artists putting hair follicles to create this thing – that's impressive
1: the original lon cheney jr
0: wolfman yeah
1: was a day to get ready that's why he's in the movie so sparingly as the wolfman is it was one shot mm-hmm. look if anybody doubts this here's the best thing you can do yeah go watch any of those movies we've mentioned from mm-hmm. the original wolfman mm-hmm. to american werewolf to even the thing mm-hmm. watch that and watch the actual physical model mm-hmm. moving and then go watch i am legend with will smith oh and pause when you watch this why in the hell in that film Mm -hmm. did they not just choose to use a bunch of white painted bald humans because that's all they are exactly but there's no depth yeah and they
0: look like 3D paper like two dimensional paper dolls yeah you ever seen powder get a bunch of those guys well yeah (laughs) right can't believe I mentioned powder in a podcast oh that's it All right, number three Rosemary's Baby mmm I know
1: met with a pause so let me defend it okay I think for the reason that you and I are both like, wow. Because this is not me saying I've backtracked on what I've said about that film. Mm -hmm. But the reason that I put it where I did is for all of Roman Polanski's bullshit, Mm -hmm. which there's plenty. Yeah, What I will say about this film Mm -hmm. is it decided to do something that was not yet tapped. And that's the birthing of the antichrist into popular culture sure look for all of the reasons that you and i don't like that which is generally most males is exactly the reason that most females do this is not on my list of favorites it's a movie that i probably don't ever want to care to watch again (laughs) but all you have to do is bring up this movie yeah in a company of males and females, and begin the discussion and watch where it goes. Yeah. And you, like, e- even for the controversy around it, yeah. about how you and I are like, you gotta be kidding me. Mm-hmm. Like, that to me makes that movie so landmark. And think about how many films yeah. have been poorly, or in some cases and in most cases, yeah. more aptly suited or presented the same thing mm-hmm. like what happens when what you're birthing yeah. is not what you thought it was going so to inhuman, be so
0: inhuman yeah
1: but again I'm, like I'm not telling you I like that movie no 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 no, no. but le- but big time important film that that makes my list that
0: high hey cheers to everything you just said I thought I think that's a brilliant breakdown of you know what makes that film horrifying amen to that I can't do that film like at all. Like to me, I know. I, I respect its brilliance. I respect its attempts and its craft, but man, like I just I can't. Like yeah. like it's one of those ones that it's on all those like top 10, 100 whatever oh, yeah. whatever lists and I'm just like, "Jesus, like it's I I can't do it. I really can't."
1: If we ever did a cast that was movies that we just don't get and yeah. get scare quotes around the quit get like we don't see what everybody else did yeah that would certainly be in it insofar as <laughs> yeah. what you and i would say yeah and i can't believe that i'm defending this at number three for a movie that i don't even like <laughs>
0: yeah
1: i'm trying to step outside myself or this is called growth yep I'm growing there you go taking the bastardization of a process that is uniquely and specifically female mm-hmm. and necessary to keep the species going the perpetuation of life mm-hmm. and bastardizing that in a way and then presenting it in a rather misogynistic form because her husband's an asshole in that film mm-hmm. john cassavetes <sighs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, if you hadn't seen the movie yeah you'd be like huh that's kind of interesting yeah now here's one though that i'm going to throw out there okay martyrs you ever seen martyrs mm-hmm. Is that a similar film, just maybe done in a way that we both like better? In a way, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I... All right, that just came up. Interesting. All right, so you're at number two? I'm at number two. Okay. Number two, you know I love it. It's on the top shelf there, kind of like hanging out with Halloween and the thing and all that. It's alien. Yeah, Yeah. We did the podcast on it. You can't understand me because I lost my voice during that time, which kills me, but the film's brilliant. I think a lot of horror monster films could take a page out of aliens book and it's not like they didn't have the money to not show it it's like the opposite of halloween and jaws actually they chose to use their creatures sparingly and in the shadows confined and when you do see it it just it doesn't leave your your memory so i think a lot of films like it And The Nun and, you know, a lot of the slate of current modern horror, La Llorona, which I saw, which I didn't like. uh, They overuse the monster. And I think that's a very poor detriment to horror in general. This film, I think, has done it better than any film ever made. So Ridley Scott's Alien 1979, number two. Yeah, good. Okay, so my
1: number one was actually one that you had on the list, and it was The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to expand on anything that we haven't already said about that film. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that movie is the greatest and most important horror film that's ever been done. Not by a lot, and it could change from time to time. But my number one would be The Exorcist. Okay. So I think
0: one and two for us are both pretty similar, both coming, coming and going. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So this list from the top 10, I'll just read it down. We have The Descent, Dracula, The Shining, Eyes Without a Face, Halloween, Carrie, An American Werewolf in London. Rosemary's Baby, Alien, and The Exorcist at number one. So let me ask you a question. Okay. If
1: you had to pick between initial list or latter list, which one? And you can't just kick out the second one because of Rosemary's Baby. No, but no, no. I no. Mean, maybe you can. No. Which one would you? Of those films,
0: which movies would you rather sit and watch? I, I want to watch both oh, of that's them. That's tough, isn't it? It is. It is tough. I think list one has a slight advantage to you know having a lot of diversity so does the second one, so that's kind of stupid to say. I think where you might maybe be shaded a bit to the one, I might be shaded a bit to two. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but I like guys without a face. Are you tell me you want or You'd rather watch sit through The Shining again. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Well, so okay, but for what The Shining is, yeah. I, I, uh, so wait. only three films made it on both lists, and that's the thing: or Alien, The Exorcist, and Halloween. Psycho. So, no psycho didn't make it on this yeah. list, yeah. Yeah, because psycho made it twice on the other one. Right. I like that, man. I had a hard time doing this. A lot of things had to make the cut. Uh, I wanted Night of Living Dead. It did make the list, so thank, thankfully, for that. And thankfully, Eyes Without a Face. But two that I really, I, I really like. Uh one, The Omen. I really like The Omen, nineteen seventy six. I think that's a very, you know, taking what The Exorcist had already set up and just doing something so fresh and having, you know, kids are creepy. Dude, I had Omen on my list at seven and six, and yeah. got booted off twice.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one.
0: Yeah, and and then one that I think you talked about is like you saw on a lot of lists and didn't quite maybe get, but I really like uh, Val Luton's Cat People. We actually uh, we watched that uh, recently, and what's great about it is you know kind of that same thing, you know, the money not having the proper effects to to show the monster and all that, being able to do it with sound shadow, suggestion. The whole film is suggestion of a perversion, sexual perversion to the nth degree. Yeah. And it's done in a way where you really don't see anything, but like you can visualize it so well that you almost don't need to see it. It, Again, an honorable mention, but yeah, I was, I, I, this was fun to do. I liked, I like doing these, these, these lists. It really makes you think of what really deserves to kind of be in consideration.
1: When we were texting earlier this afternoon, Mm Hmm we had a little discussion about cat people. Mm-hmm. Again, the same guy that introduced me to eyes without a face, so the same guy that introduced me to cat people. Mm-hmm. Essentially the premise is basically this woman when aroused because of a curse sexually mm-hmm. turns into cat, a cat, mm-hmm. which is kind of a werewolf, but not, mm-hmm. and it, it's a ravenous, like deadly cat. So then there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And so far as what that means for her, because mm-hmm. she's, not cast as an ugly woman on purpose. So you just did two. Can I throw out two other recommendations that people might not have seen that I played around with a little bit? Sure. Okay. I like this one not because it's scary, not because it's scary, but because for me, it blended a strange combination of like art and horror mm. together, mm-hmm. and that's the Hunger. Mm. David Bowie, Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon, essentially. David Bowie is a vampire who quite inexplicably begins to age. Mm-hmm. And Catherine Deneuve, who is essentially his running mate, becomes repulsed by him. Yeah. So then she seeks out a new running mate who happens to be a woman. Susan Sarandon. Yep. Um, and I remember the first time I saw that film and how challenged I was by it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it,
0: it
1: even if the, the lesbian scene leaves you cold later on the film the opening bit watching David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve hunt down this couple at this club is worth the price of admission so that would be one okay the other one that I think I would recommend to a lot of people is probably the original and I sort of mentioned earlier like Caligari Mm -hmm. it's a little hard to find Mm -hmm. but if you can get your hands on it it's worth it just because man it's it's really grainy and aged, and that movie has aged really well and become more hard to watch because of that. Is that like the
0: first, like maybe film, like big film twist, too? Yeah. Like twist ending? Like yeah. really kind of setting that kind of moniker up, too? Mm-hmm. I think that's on the Criterion Collection, too, isn't it? Uh, it it, it, be, it yeah. might be, yeah. If not, it should, yeah, it should be. Well, that was fun, Matt. This has been The Shot. Until next time, cheers. Cheers, everybody.